Welcome back to Open Source Startup Podcast. Uh, it was our host, Tim from SNSVC and Robbie, our lovely partner from Callaway Ventures. We're super excited to have Lightning AI, the CEO of Will, to be on our podcast. Lightning is able to build models and full-stack AI apps lightning fast. So welcome, Will. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Really excited to be here. And uh, I don't know, hopefully help people in their open source to enterprise journeys. Awesome. And we're super, super excited to have you here. I think when we were going to talk last, the company was called Grid AI. Now it's called Lightning AI. So we'll definitely talk about how the company has changed and repositioned in the last like six months to a year. But why don't we start at the very beginning? So going back to the founding story for, at the time, I assume it was Grid AI, but where did the idea come from? Like, what experiences did you have that led you to want to found this company? Yeah, sure. So um, we first started with PyTorch Lightning, which is kind of what everyone knows us for. So if you train models today, you have kind of two main avenues, PyTorch or TensorFlow, right? And um, what we built is a way to organize your PyTorch code so that scales in the cloud, right? So that's what PyTorch Lightning is. And um, a good a good reason example of that is if you guys follow this this diffusion stuff, right, with stable diffusion, all those models are trained using PyTorch Lightning, right, at scale over like hundreds or thousands of GPUs or whatever insane amount of compute they use, right? So we started there. And then, um, you know, I think there's probably around 10,000 companies across the world today that use Lightning for training models. So one of the main problems that we had um, was obviously for training models, like we can you know, what the open source thing did in the beginning was handle all the math around how to do that and the engineering around how to do that. But you couldn't set up the infrastructure yourself, right? So the company grid basically was about helping you set up the infrastructure on the cloud so you could train models at scale. Now, remember, this is 2019 and the company basically launched like early 2020. So that's when kind of when we started. We're only like less than three years old at this point. And if you think about today, today is actually when people are starting to think about training models, right? It's becoming really hard, but this is kind of our bread and butter for the last three years already, right? It's, it's a thing that we've been really focused on. And so I think we should probably go back into PyTorch Lightning because this, I think this is the beginning of all this company starting, right? So what is PyTorch Lightning? I think maybe assume people may have heard of PyTorch, but maybe just get a little bit of brief overview of what PyTorch Lightning is. And what was the thought of starting a company around that open source project? Like, what was the initial thought? I was like, hey, let's just do this. And, and what are the th- things you start to explore or learn after that too? Yeah, so I think all of this really started rooted in my own research. So I was an undergrad at Columbia in New York, and I was doing computation science research. You know, I guess us neural networks are inspired, but we were actually trying to understand how Neural activity is translated in, in the brain from the brain or to the brain, right? So we actually started using neural networks to do that. And as I was going through that, those projects, I would iterate a lot between BAEs or GANs or different things like that, right? And this is like 2015, probably. And around 2015, kind of, I think PyTorch had just come out. It was very new. So the thing that we were actually using at the time was Theano, right? And then eventually TensorFlow. But the problem that I was trying to solve is I'm a researcher and I'm, I'm doing R&D where I need full, full flexibility. Like nothing can really get in my way because I don't want to get stuck into some, some like rigid framework down the road. So nothing that existed out there fit that bill. And then the other things that did exist, like TensorFlow, it was great, but you had to really know all the details about it. So I kind of made something for myself, for my own research, where as I tried new ideas, I basically just had to change just a few parts of the code. And in 2015, I don't think it was obvious what are the things that don't change between models and between different projects, right? So it took us about five years to figure this out today. Today, you guys, when you go build machine learning, you have to import a few lines of code and it kind of works. Well, 
that's a you know that's the result of not not just us but a collection of companies and other projects who for like the last five or six years really figured out what are the necessary things that you care about that other people shouldn't have to deal with right so we're there now but it took a while and so what lightning actually started was actually with tensorflow right so there was no pytorch at the time so i wrote lightning for tensorflow specifically and then uh, when pytorch came out i rewrote it for pytorch right now that project stayed private for a very long time until i started my phd where Kind of, we started to use it more broadly in my in my lab, and then I eventually open sourced it. Like maybe I don't know, ten months into my PhD, and then I joined Facebook AI Research, uh, where then we took that to scale it on the Facebook clusters. Again, this is summer of 2019, where we were training contrastive learning methods around. You know, they were using about a thousand GPUs each model, right? And I would spin up like five of these models. To this day, it's still one of the probably largest trainings we've done. Like you know, GPT three is not that much bigger than that. They just have bigger models now and better machines. But um, Lightning was really built for scale, right? So that's really where it started. It's like for, for actual scale, and it's got to be super fast. It's got to work really well. It's got to be super flexible. So it took us a really long time to figure out how to do that correctly. And so the company kind of started on its own, right? It wasn't really something that I was trying to do. It was I frankly believe that open source should really start with like an honest take at something that you actually want to share with the world, whether you make money out of it or not. I think that's a different story. And um, to, there was just a very clear business model for us in this case, right? And so then we uh, spoke with a few VCs. Uh, they reached out and then, you know, kind of started the company. Luckily, before all the hype happened. So this was like a real start, right? <laughs> and then um, so around the time, I actually met Tim, right? And so it's been, a, it's been a few years. But after that, the company just kind of evolved. And, um, and that, that became great, right? Training at scale. Over time, what I really wanted to solve wasn't necessarily training models, right? It was like the first step to me. What I really wanted to solve was how do you get all these other pieces of machine learning to work well together, right? So what if I am training a model on PyTorch and then I fine tune with TensorFlow and then I deploy using this other thing, right? And then I monitor it with this other thing and then I use data drift detection for this other thing and I need to load the data from Snowflake and blah, 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 right? So how do I get you to help? How do I make it easy for you to use the best tools that you have in a single, very simple experience, right? So that's what we wanted to solve. We just started with training. Fast forward about two years into the company, we actually ended up solving that problem fairly well, in my opinion, and we launched Lightning AI, right? So we actually evolved beyond training. So Grid was just about training. Lightning AI is about the whole thing, right? You can deploy, you can train, you can data label, you can monitor, you can drift, you can do all of that stuff, right? And what Lightning does is, allows you to build self-contained components, right? So in your machine learning workflow today, you can take part of it and say, hey, this training part of it, I want to change it with the Lightning component that actually handles the training and it handles its own infrastructure, handles its own costs, all of that stuff. Or if I want to replace the deployment part, I can do that, right? So you can kind of pick these pieces and plug them into your workflow as you want. We also introduced kind of like a next generation orchestrator. So if you actually want to manage all of them together, you can do that. And what the difference is now is that they're reactive workflows, right? Because most um, machine learning today is done using kind of DAGs, which are great, except that they fundamentally don't work for things like interactive apps where you might respond to something, right? So that's kind of the, the next thing that we introduced as well. So long line of research, basically, I think. But I think the stuff that we launched recently is probably, I would say, about two years ahead of where people are today because everyone's still thinking about DevOps and DAGs and all these different things, right? That's a super helpful overview. And also just really helpful to hear the initial reason why you even created PyTorch Lightning. I want to go back and dig into the reason why you open sourced it and why you open sourced it when you did, because it was around for some time before you open sourced it. And 
there are lots of reasons to open source a project. Like apart from adoption, there's also just potentially adding some builders to it, adding contributions, adding support. What was kind of going through your head as far as why you wanted to open source it and also the timing as to when you did it? Yeah, so you guys are like open source experts, right? Like I, I wasn't at the time. Like I know now what, what the things are. But at the time, I was a PhD student and my friends were asking me to use my work. And I was like, this thing is pretty fast and it's pretty cool. And it seems unfair that I'm the only one who gets to have this advantage. So I went in my lab to move quickly as well and publish papers fast. So I literally just made it public only. And I only told them. I literally just shared it in Slack for them. My, my intention wasn't to like get the whole world to use it, right? I just thought it was a really cool tool and it kind of seemed like a shame to keep it private. <laughs> That's all right. Then I think eventually it kind of pulled me in really more than anything else. Like I really made it open just so that people could use it. At some point, Facebook started using it itself. And I was like kind of annoyed by it, honestly, because I was like just trying to do my PhD and they kept asking me for features and adding things. And I was like, dude, I'm not even doing that type of research. Like, I don't really care. <laughs> but I thought it was cool that Facebook was using it. That's all. Right. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to enable you because that, that's pretty cool that I know my codes, what running, whatever. And then it kind of happened with more and more companies. And then people started contributing. They started adding things. At some point, I actually even considered shutting it down because it was really annoying to like track and, and mat, you know, all the contributions and PRs and stuff. But I, I really liked the community aspect, right? And so I really enjoyed working with people who are really good at different things. And it was solving a real problem for them. So that, that was pretty exciting. So yeah, I think it was a very, I don't know, innocent uh, reason to open source something. Like I wasn't really trying to build anything crazy with it. But it turned out to have a real use and people love it. So. And so continue on that story, I think part of the reason you know, PyTorch Lighting and also Grid AI, to, Lighting AI was really a strong story to everybody because PyTorch Lighting was actually growing quite a bit around the community, right? And so we should talk about maybe how did you grow the community in the beginning? Because you, you were a Facebook research, you open sourced it. I think there's definitely a very strong brand around FAIR. But what, what you're doing to grow through like the first initial thousand people, you know, to get to know PyTorch Lightning, what did you talk about? What other people did you get involved? So maybe talk about the early story of how to grow like the first the core group of that community in the first place? Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, there's no like silver bullet, right? I think it's, you just got to do a lot of small things, like a million small things. You just got to, you know, every single person that comes on, you have to treat them like they're the king of the world Then you're going to help them be successful and they're going to partner with them. It's about collaborating with people. It's about, you know, community is not a, a group of people on a Slack channel. It's a family. It's people that you work with. It's people that spend their time with you. It's people that you can enable and that can enable you. It's just like having coworkers. That's all it is, right? And it's like having friends. And so I think that's a different mentality. I think a lot of people try to force a community for profitability, but you're never. It's gonna never gonna come authentic if you do that, right? You have to actually want to have a community, <laughs> and you have to actually want to be a part of that and want it to be like something special, right? So there, I don't think there's a, a magic bullet. I honestly think it's just like just make friends and make a lot of friends and make them happy. <laughs> I love that. And I, I also love this concept of treating your community as like folks who you really like deeply care about and have empathy for. Because so many folks who listen to this are really in the open source world and they might not have started a company yet, but they're thinking about it. I think maybe talking through what was going on in your head when you decided to start a company around this, because there are communities and projects that exist that might not be great kind of starting points for companies. But for you, were there certain users, like quality of users or things that folks were doing with Lightning that made you think, okay, like this could be a really big standalone company. And also 
like you wanting, like maybe you never wanted to be a founder. Maybe you did at some point, like what was kind of going through your head when you made the decision to then go and pursue this full time? Yeah. I mean, so the first thing was before I started my PhD, I, I had another startup, which actually sold. So I was really just trying to do a PhD, like legitimately was just interested in science and just wanted to advance it. That's all still do. Right. So I wasn't like looking to do anything new or start a company. So I just working on interesting things. Right. So I, I think the first thing to notice, like you said, not everything is a company, right? Like they're playing you. I mean, look, I've open source probably like 80 different things at this point that are just things that I think other people should not have to build twice. That's all, right? <laughs> Most of them are probably not companies, right? And that's okay. And they shouldn't be. I think that there's probably like, if you're really adamant about forcing a company out of the thing you're building, there's probably a way to do it. And it's, I mean, look at every SaaS company that's come out of open source. Like they're all kind of a standard recipe, like open source something, then figure out what the companies want and then make a version that's hosted of that thing and then get them to pay for it, solve collaboration, sell a bunch of stuff for them. Like it's a pretty repeatable recipe, right? So, but I think understanding exactly what those companies need is a big deal, right? And uh, maybe your projects just won't have anything that enterprises need because like, yeah, maybe they'll use it, but like willing to pay for it is a very different thing, right? And so a, a successful project with a lot of eyeballs and stars does not equate a really good actual profitable company, right? And we forget that. And I think VCs forget that because they see they see stars and they're like, oh my God, amazing. It's blown up. Look at all these people. It's like, yeah, but is that ever going to be a real company? Tell me how you actually monetize that, right? Yeah, I think you bring a really good point that open source projects, just because you get adoption doesn't necessarily mean it all just will become a huge companies. And I think I want to talk about, like, so you open source PyTorch Lightning, you started a company. There's definitely an exploration path that happens after that, right? You know, that's like, okay, I think we should start something here around Pytorch Lightning. And I think there's the usual challenge whenever you start a company around open source projects is that you also need to build an open source team, continue to build the momentum of that project while trying to figure out what a product might be like. And so I think it would be good if you can talk about what was the first explorations you did? Like, what are the things you start to try to say, okay, this is what we first tried or first thought about, and what kind of experiments have we gone to the point where it leads to what you have now, which is actually, I think, is a drastically different than what PyTorch Lightning is, right? It's not really about applications or all these abstractions. It was actually more just focused on PyTorch, right, as a, as a core, simpler abstraction here. So yeah, maybe talk about that journey, because I think that's is really fascinating. So yeah, let's let's actually think about that because what what is PyTorch Lightning, right? Like PyTorch Lightning is something, a box that helps you train PyTorch models, that helps you organize and train PyTorch models, right? But what is PyTorch Lightning really? It's an organizational layer on your code. It's modularity, it's a standard, right? Now it just happens that the first standard we released was for defining a model program. Now what we've released recently in the last year is standards to define other parts of your system. So it's exactly the same idea. It's the same thing, but it's applied to everything else. What should be the standard for deploying the model, right? No one knows that. There's like, what interface do you use? How do you make sure it's modular, reusable, all that stuff, right? What's interface for multi-node training? What's interface for data labeling? What's interface for this, right? So these are the standards that we're rolling out. So it's really the same idea, just applied to more than just models, right? And we've generalized it. So at the end of the day, to me, it's the same thing. It's just... We started with model training, and then we moved into serving, and then we moved into these other things now, right? And in that process, we learned how to standardize it, because I think the thing that was not obvious to us in the beginning was, what was it about Lightning that made it interesting to people? And what about it is the value, right? There's a lot of values to it, but 
one main value is the ability to organize your code. And people underestimate this, right? Because organized code, especially machine learning, people want to just have scripts. They kind of just want to have notebooks and all this stuff. Except that you're never going to ship that. You're never going to be able to collaborate. You won't be able to test that. So having something that feels like a script that's as easy to wrap your head around, but it's actually production ready implicitly by the design of it, it's a very hard thing to do. That's what we've achieved, right? And so I think that was the thing that we discovered through talking to people for a long time. And these are enterprises, you know, basically talk to people who have money and are willing to pay for it and see how they're using the product. And they're going to tell you, oh, this is where I see the value. This is what's interesting to me. And there's probably something there that you can then kind of charge for, right? You have to be rigorous and put yourself through the ringer to really figure out how to make something that people are willing to pay for. And it's an actual product that does not depend on support specifically. You will give support, of course, but it's not the focus of the company, right? I want to dig into this a bit because you talk a lot, which I really appreciate about finding commercial use cases. And you come from more of a PhD research background, like even at Facebook, you're in a research role. But a lot of the use cases you're going after are ones that it sounds like you probably didn't have exposure to and you had to do a lot of learning around, okay, what are the like applications at big enterprises that we want to kind of go after? What was your process of learning? And like, did you just do a ton of customer interviews? Did you like look at your users, see what companies they were at and try and dig into the ones that were at companies you thought you'd eventually want to sell to? Like, what was your process there? Because you're very commercially minded for someone with such a strong research background. Well, I did start my career at Goldman Sachs. So I did not necessarily start in research, right? (laughs) Probably the most corporate environment to be in. So at Goldman, we were building products, not machine learning. Some of them eventually became machine learning products, but we were building products to sell to hedge funds and to other clients and so on, right? It's a group called Marquee. Marquee today is one of the largest groups internally. Back then, it was like 10 people. So that was my first exposure to how enterprises think and pay and how you actually think about buying software, right? And then the second thing was my my startup that I did before my PhD, which we were helping low-income students figure out how to pay for college. And the way that we were doing that was to go into inner-city schools and basically host kind of like starter sessions for financial aid. You would text into our system and they would pair you up with like financial advisors that were like people who we trained and so on. Now to scale that company, we, we used machine learning. We used NLP, right? And we eventually ended up putting NLP in production around 2017, 2018 at a time when people were not deploying machine learning, right? At a time where you couldn't do inference very quickly. It was like a very, very new thing to do. And so I think we had some of the earliest learnings about how to actually deploy machine learning very early on. And I was, you know, giving talks about it in New York City about how you, you know, calculate real-time embeddings, how you do... You know, at the time it was a distributed inference, but how do you have collections of models working together in an actual system, right? Now, I wasn't using kind of all the tools that people have today. I don't know if they were even around back then, right? Like Metaflow and all this other stuff, but we were doing these things together. And like we were, you know, there were hints of lightning thoughts in there, right? As we were thinking about how to deploy these things. So all of that really influenced how I built in the long term. But I think like the the real big shift was, you know, uh, Luca, our CTO, he's been deploying deep learning for a very long time, right? So if you guys have ever, you know, heard of PyTorch, he's one of the earliest contributors to it. He's one of the original builders of PyTorch. And he wrote this book called Deep Learning PyTorch as well, right? So he's been deploying deep learning, machine learning for a very long time. So he's done it in industry settings. He's done it manufacturing, like so many places. So he brought up a lot of this knowledge into the company as well, which is kind of what enabled us as well to go beyond just training and like really consider the full the, the full thing, right? So it's really a partnership with not just him, but a few others in the company as well. Yeah. And then, I mean, obviously through the whole process, you know, working with our, our customers, speaking to enterprises, 
the challenge that you have in machine learning is that companies actually are not really haven't really adopted it truly deep learning right so it's like they don't even know what they're doing right so they they tell you the problems but like you have to be the one to figure it out they don't really have solutions right whereas i think in most other open source software engineering like hey, I have a database that's open source. Like everyone knows what a database is. You're not like inventing anything new, right? You're just doing it slightly better. Here, no one knows. It's completely open field. And so you have to create things, right? And so what we ended up doing was creating standards because that's just what didn't exist, right? So there's a little bit of R&D, which is why I think actually having a research background in this world actually helps a lot because you are kind of doing research (laughs) as well. Yeah, I think one unique thing about Lightning AI, or actually we're going to talk about the grid AI to Lightning AI, was obviously the research is actually a part of the company DNA of some sort, right? You have your backgrounds, researchers is actually part of the blog post talking about the latest unsupervised learning algorithms and research papers and stuff like that. And I actually want to talk about a journey about Grid AI to Lightning AI, this name switch, right? Because this happens, Grid AI was actually first name. You know, the first product you mentioned was more about just model training and model serving. And then it grew into applications. And I think you look across all or many different ML companies, I think you've seen that many people, you know, when they started off or talk about what we're going to do in long-term future, you know, we all eventually want to do more and more things in this ML ops world. But most people don't actually go beyond their first two products, maybe in the first four to five years or three to four years. But it seems like this change and this more expansion is as a quite a large, larger leap of things you want people to do with, you know, Pytorch Lightning, Lightning AI in general. So you can maybe talk about like, what was the thought process of the name change? And also what made you want to go after more apps this soon? Sure. So, I mean, everyone calls us Lightning. They're just like, oh, Grid is the thing from Lightning. Oh, Pytorch Lightning. They say Lightning, 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 always, right? You know, it was like, you always have to explain what Grid is and it's this other thing and people don't understand it. But we wanted it to be cohesive, right? And so for us, it just made sense to say, hey, you know what? All of it is lightning. Lightning AI, that's it, <laughs> right? And, and we dropped the PyTorch from the name because, again, it, you, we just go beyond training now, right? It's not just models. I mean, in fact, you're going to use TensorFlow with lightning now, right? So it's just an evolution, like trying to go out of this one spot, which is called training PyTorch models to the broader thing. And so I think the name reflects that really well, and it shows kind of our ambitions as well, right? Now, in terms of apps, turns out that by solving this way of getting things to work together really well, the way that we actually ended up solving it was to build this kind of like, you know, everyone uses these orchestrators right now. I guess that's kind of what it is now that I like you were starting to learn how people address it. But we built something, the Lightning Framework, right, that kind of like allows you to generalize beyond just the training, right? So this is what you can you can use to build just deployment parts or data labeling or other things, right? It's really, honestly, it's whatever you want. It's literally organizing Python code. Like I could print Hello World all day long if I wanted to, for example. So it's really any Python code. So it's it's modular pieces of Python at the end of the day. That's why you can kind of expand out to anything. What's interesting is that under the hood, what we did with the infrastructure and the tying it together with the framework allowed it to be super, super general. So we wrote a very expressive language under the hood that the user doesn't have to think about. And these were the lessons from Lightning that took us, you know, five years to figure out, right? <laughs> and so it's not something that just happens overnight, of course. But that's why the flexibility is there, right? Because most people, when they start their other companies and with MLOps or whatever else, they kind of build this one super, super overfitted thing to this one particular thing. 
but it's kind of impossible really to go beyond that if you weren't trying to do that from the very get-go, which we were, right? And that was the difference is we were trying to pro, we knew what the end goal was. So we wanted to build something that was a little bit different and, and to enable the kind of applications that you need today in AI, like you actually have to evolve beyond DAGs into reactive workflows. So reactive workflows, you might know them from React.js themselves. So if you build a web app with React, React is powered by a single source of truth, a state, a global state that gets pushed into every single part of that tree. And that tree is a DOM, right? And every part of that tree is a component that renders an output of that state. And when something changes, it propagates it back into the global state and then it gets distributed again, right? So we took that paradigm and we basically built it into the cloud and into distributed systems where the straight, it's like a React app where every piece of every component in React actually lives at its own machine and even its own cloud. So it's an actual fully, fully distributed system, but there's a global state that gets shared across all the machines, which makes it implicitly fault tolerant. It makes everything work well together. So it's a complete, complete different design than what people have taken today for machine learning. And that really unlocks a lot, right? So, you know, we launched the product a few weeks back called Muse. So if you go to lightning.ai forward slash M-U-S-E, like Mike, Uniform Sierra Echo, you can play with this product there. And this, uh, and you're going to see it, it's kind of like OpenAI, DALI, and um, Stability AI. So this app was built in a few weeks by two engineers, right? That's really powerful. And the reason you're able to move this quickly is because it's so declarative and reactive that you can actually, it's kind of like bundling microservices is how you can think about it. Like you have a React UI that is directly speaking to how the model is being deployed on an inference engine. And actually the feedback is immediate, right? So you have low latency, all this networking stuff is gone. There are a lot of optimizations you can make, right? And this product yourself, you can actually clone it immediately. If you go to lightning.ai in the header, there's deploy an app instantly. And then if you click that button, you select Muse, you say deploy, and you get free credits, but you get that whole system out of the box already running, right? So this is equivalent to like an executable in your Mac, right? Because today, cloud systems are built like maybe better, it's like a computer, like early computers, they were like towers in a room, a bunch of them, right? So if you wanted to move that, you kind of couldn't, right? You couldn't go to the different room. It's like impossible. Now, if you were to take all of that and put it into a single box, that's a laptop, for example, right? Now you can actually move that thing around. So that's kind of what we've done is for cloud systems, right? Is you can actually take this app and I can literally deploy it on Google tomorrow or AWS today. doesn't matter. The whole thing goes with it. So it's like an executable. So all of that stuff, you know, is really, really tied together through this reactive workflow that, that we enabled. And it's just a different way to think about it. So I think it takes people a little bit to wrap their heads around. One special case of a reactive workflow is a DAG where it's not reactive, it's just sequential and that's enabled, right? But the second you paralyze, if you take a DAG like A and then B and then C, and then you paralyze A and make that run in a loop, now what do you do, right? Now things break. DAGs can't do that, right? So now that means I can train a model continuously if it's part A, and every time it saves a checkpoint, part B knows about it and it can react to it. That's very powerful, right? Because it means that I can do things like continuous training in like two lines of code or continuous deployment literally in two lines of code of Python, not YAML, right? Python. Because you can't for loop a YAML, you can't while loop a YAML, you can't, re you can't do recursion, right? It's not turn complete. So we needed a full expressive language, which is Python. And so, you know, these are kind of a lot of the design considerations we take into account. It's really fascinating just the breadth of products that you can build. I want to make sure that we have some time to talk through some of the decisions you've made as a company leader. So. It's your second company. There's, I think, roughly 60, 50 or 60 folks that, that work there. Um, what have you 
learned about hiring? Are there maybe one or two like game-changing hires that you would advise kind of other founders, other earlier stage founders to make that, and maybe you've learned it from your last startup to now, or it was kind of a, a new thing being at, uh, at Lightning? I mean, executives are like the key to everything, right? I think if you hire wrong executives, that can have a big impact. If you hire the wrong executive, they can they will hire bad people. And then even if you let go of the executive, you then have these people floating around that are not great. So it really hinders companies, right? So I would say, try to really nail your first executives, like really, really understand how to hire for them because that's really going to change the feel of the company. I made that mistake early on and it's nothing wrong with the people that we hired early themselves are amazing people. They're just not right for the stage. So I would say the other thing to consider is when you hire people, hire them for the stage that you're in. Like the CTO of Google is not going to be good at your seat stage because they don't know how to set up processes and do things correctly, right? So, you know, now we really focus on people who are like startup experts where they built from scratch, right? They've gone from zero to series B, series C, all that stuff. They're experts at that. And that's a very different way to look at it because if you don't have that perspective, you're going to waste your time and it's going to waste six months, a lot of time for you, right? So uh, I would say that's the main thing. And then probably, I mean, you know, honestly, when you're small, like every hire should be exceptional. Just like have 10, 15 people. Don't, don't, don't bother with junior people because, you know, they shouldn't be learning on the job. Hire really, ex really experienced people, pay them really well and just have a few of them. And that's it, right? And make sure you have really good, good guidance there. So yeah, so those are some lessons we've learned, right? I think we've made all those changes already. And probably the final change that we made this year was we actually refocused the company to be together, right? I mean, as, a, as an open source company, we started distributed, as everyone does, I think. And then we kind of try to keep that going, except that you can't build a world-class company, I think, if you're actually not together. I don't literally mean in the office all the time, but you do have to have working sessions, like continuously, same time zones, all that stuff. So we made that big shift as well. Uh, we still have some people in Europe, which is great, but they're really exceptional people that we've worked with for a very long time. And, uh, you know, as the company grows and we expand to Europe operations, then and then those teams will probably formalize a lot more over there. Right. But, yeah, I, I would say really focus on being together because that's going to change the dynamics of everything. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of learning sounds like you had around like exec hiring and scaling the team and also scaling the product. There's there's definitely a lot of I'm sure there's lots of actually little learnings in between. Maybe we should talk about what did you personally learn? You know, because you had one company before, but I think this one is larger scale, right? And and pretty ambitious now, right? Building applications. There's a lot of audiences. Actually, I think will be actually quite challenging or things to nail down. Like, hey, what do we even build, right? What is the right features? What are the right ways to do this and that? What are the biggest learnings you personally have to learn this this through this journey? Like, what are the things you actually had to like really overcome, or like, is is a big unlock for you to to continue to learn and over and grow with this overexpansion of ambition? Yeah, for sure. I think every technical founder needs to learn how to stop coding. That's that's actually a learning, right? Because you need to focus on the business as well. You you can give high level opinions and stuff for sure, but you need to really move into building a business, right, and the company, and you know. Enterprise customers don't pay for code. They pay for products. They don't pay for, for the technical parts of it. They just pay for what they can do with the products. So you have to understand that as well. And a lot of engineers don't, don't get that. They're like, look at this sexy thing that does this. And it's like, well, yeah, but like no one knows what it is. No one cares. You don't know. You haven't, you haven't named it well. You haven't explained it well. You're not marketing it well. You don't, you're not telling people why, why it matters, right? <laughs> so there's a lot, lot to it. Like I'm sure there's brilliant GitHub projects out there, but like, man, they will never be found, right? And they will be never be spoken. 
about because they don't have great documentation and they don't have anything around them, right? You can't just build code. You have to actually build the product around it. So that, that's the, the first thing probably. I think the second thing is probably the real skill set to get into is as a founder, it's really learning quickly. I think that's probably the main thing. Learn as fast as possible because I'm not an expert in anything, right? I know certain things well in the coding world, but I don't know anything about marketing. I don't know anything about community building. I don't know anything about sales, whatever, but you have to learn it and you have to learn it well, right? And you have to learn it well enough to hire people who are much better than you at it, <laughs> right? That's probably the biggest skill set. So I guess it all ties back to hiring, but I guess you can solve all of that if you fundamentally learn how to learn quickly. And I'd maybe love to to talk about, um, there are so many really important milestones for an early stage company, but they're often like memorable days. So like we've talked to some founders about like landing their first enterprise customer. It was like super memorable because it like signified that they were moving up market or like closing a certain hire or the first kind of in-person offsite. Is there maybe like one or two days or it could be like moments for the company that you just, when you think about the most impactful or memorable or special days for Lightning AI, it re- like they really stick out in your mind? Yeah, probably first global offsite where we all got together and met each other for the first time. That was amazing. I think that like that first time that you see like a, a real enterprise customer, like a big one, that like within 10 minutes just like really gets your product because of the way you talked about it or whatever. Like that's crazy, right? Because it just takes you so long to get there. <laughs> it literally takes like years to get there, right? So uh, I think that's just an amazing feeling. Yeah, and then everything's memorable, but I think like those are those are some of the ones that stick out. Yeah, I don't know. I think coding with people, just seeing, I guess, you know, it's interesting when you bring a vision to life. I think that probably most people don't get it until they use it, right? And I think one of the hardest things for us to build Lightning was only a few of us really understood what it was going to end up looking like literally until the day that it was live. And the day that it was live, when the employees went to use it and then they understood it, they've been building it forever. But once they saw it fully used and end-to-end, and then they're like, oh, interesting. It's like, yes, now you get it. So probably one of the hardest things to build is something that does actually does not exist. If you're building just like a, a better version of something else, it's pretty clear to wrap your head around. But if you're really trying to reimagine something from scratch and actually ship that, the hardest thing is to get like 50 people to like say, hey, you know what? Like, I don't know what this is, but like, I'm going to trust that it's going to be interesting. And then at the end, it all just comes together like at once. And that's really, really magical, I think, when it ha- actually happens. And you're like, wow, we just created this like from nothing. That's crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. And I did want to make sure that we mentioned that you are hiring. And um, I guess maybe the last question um, it's kind of related to that is, I mean, the last the, like big kind of headline news over the last couple of months has really been around layoffs, hiring freezes. And so in like the kind of new normal, new environment, does that change anything for the way that you're leading Lightning AI? Or is this potentially a a good time in certain ways because you have competitors that are washed out? Like, how are you kind of thinking about what changes or maybe doesn't change operating today? So I think we were always pretty aggressive about being lean, right? So I, I never really hired too many people. Yeah, I think we've always kept it pretty low. I think something that we've been really fortunate with is that We've always kept the burn low. We've kept the valuation low as well. You know, I think we're set up now because we have, I don't know, a ton of money in the bank, probably runway for the next four or five years. We're monetizing, we're going through enterprises, we've done all this stuff. So yeah, I don't, we've been fortunate. I can't say it was planned. I, I can't tell you that I was like, that's smart. <laughs> I think it's like happened by luck uh, for sure. But, we, you know, I did start in the military as my career and the military is very like stingy with everything. Like you don't get people, you don't get money, you got to figure it out with the resources. So I probably operate that way implicitly. So it's kind of paid off this time. So 
I'm sad that people are, are, you know, obviously having all these layoffs and things like that. But yeah, for us, it's an opportunity. And I do think that, you know, if you're in New York or San Francisco area, like we're, we're looking for people and we're hiring and, and, uh, you know, we want to bring you on board. So let us know, but yeah, we're also very conservative with, with the money stuff. So amazing. Yeah. That's super congrats on all the progress and all the updated stories and hiring, you know, and thanks so much for spending time with us. And I think we, we definitely have so much good things uh, we learned and I'm sure audience will love it as well. So thanks so much. Will. yeah, thank you guys for having me. This was super fun.